Barcelona's world. Podcasts fill the streets. It's up to two men who bring order to the chaos. The Hardcasters. Hello and welcome to Hardcasters, the podcast that would quite happily kill their own brother to maintain cover. Um, I'm Dominic Deplum, and with me, as always, is Dick Visage. Hello, Dick. Hello. Um, how are you? How, how's how's uh, shooting your brother in the face? It's f- he didn't mind. He knew what was at stake. He knew that, you know, if I didn't, both of us would die. So, you know, do what we can. Um, I, and also, I'm very sweaty. I don't know about you. Oh, I'm so sweaty. So I, I it literally like um, I feel like I'm on a stakeout in Colombia or somewhere. I'm just yeah, yeah. I feel horrible. Yeah, and today um, we are finally doing a John Woo movie. I insisted um, and forced you to watch uh, this film uh, against your will. I, you were literally crying and screaming as I recommended it. Um, yeah, and the reason I, you know. I, I absolutely worship at the, of jo- at the altar of John Woo. He's someone I discovered at a very young age when I was just starting to get interested in movies beyond the usual. And I, like it completely, legitimately changed like the way I saw films and the way I thought about things. And um, I think, like as some people, they'll hear a piece of music when they start going becoming a teenager that will kind of they'll get obsessed with. John Woo was like that band I found, and I just obsessed over him. And whenever I thought about sort of action and and stuff like that, I would see things play out in the way that John Woo would shoot and cut them. So um, he's he's for me the benchmark of action. And I didn't enjoy a lot of other nineties action movies. Primarily for the reason is I was comparing them all to John Woo films, and if they didn't do what John Woo was doing, um, then uh, they weren't proper action films in my book. Um, now he's fallen out of fashion to some degree, sort of post Matrix. Although the Matrix kind of borrowed heavily on his kind of um, some of his aesthetics, amongst mm. a, a bunch of other things. I think a lot of people got very, very excited about Waifu and stuff like that and the more kind of science fiction elements and didn't really take up on the, on the stylized gunplay as much. And then as we go through into the 90s and the Bourne films get kind of popular, action films have become quite obsessed with realism, yeah. um, of, of realism that um, is great and fine, um, but it, it feels, I don't think, I can't imagine us suddenly going back to these, this kind of stylized gunplay without people thinking it being a bit silly and ridiculous, yeah. which is frustrating because I, I love it to bits. Now, of all the John Woo movies we, that are available and all the ones that are very much classic John Woo, we could have gone, you know, I think most people would assume we would go either The Killer or Hard Boiled. Yep. Um, the reason I didn't put them forward is that I think if we did hard-boiled, we'd have to make this a 12-hour podcast. I just wouldn't shut up. And if we went to the kind of American stuff, obviously Hard Target is fantastic, mm. and I'm sure we'll get around to doing Hard Target at some point. Um, and I really like Face Off. I still think it's has some compromise between his sensibilities and that of kind of Western stuff. And I do think that the performances of Nicolas Cage and do almost overpower John Wall's own mm. kind of... Um, uh, elaborations, but I do still think it's a really, really strong 
movie and does a lot of things that a lot of other action films don't. I think it's a unique film. But no, we're not doing any of that. I've chosen for us to watch uh, A Better Tomorrow 2, which might seem like an odd choice, and I'll explain why I've chosen that. Um, it's a very early, what, what became known as kind of heroic bloodshed film from Hong Kong, a very one of sort of the, an early John Woo one. Um, he's the first film, A Better Tomorrow, still has some of that kind of elaborate gunplay, but hasn't really developed the style that John Woo has become famous for. And A Better Tomorrow 2, still getting towards that, but actually it's this kind of little middle ground between full-on slow motion, uh, cross-cutting, montage John Woo action scenes, um, with some kind of elaborate gags, two guns, sliding down things and that. But also, there is also a sense of just kind of rawness and brutality in the sense that the, the final shootout, which we'll talk about a lot, doesn't actually use a tremendous amount of slow motion. Of it is just mowing people down. It's, it's kind of more pecking parish than anything else. Mm. You hadn't seen this before, is that right? Never seen this. I've, I've obviously watched quite a bit of John Woo films, but this has never been one that I'd, I'd never yeah. seen. It kind of passed me by for some reason. It was always kind of in the background that, I'd wanted to watch it one day. Um, mm. Excuse me. I've, what do you think? I've um, just quickly. I've just. I keep getting that little pocket of wind. You know when you have a cold drink and you burp. Yes. But he makes you sound like Mick Jagger. You know you go like, hur, hur, like that kind of. Um, you know when Mick Jagger's talking and you have that pocket of wind and you make it sound like <laughs> that's what I've got at the minute. So if I turn into Mick Jagger, I've got just a bit of wind. <laughs> it's not an impression I'm trying to do. I'm just going to note down Pocket of Wind as a potential <laughs> film title that we might use. <laughs> yes. That's something. Um, yeah, so when I, when I recommended it to you, I did kind of warn you to some degree that it's a slow starter. There's a good oh, yeah. 30 minutes where there's not actually a lot of action at all, let alone John Woo-style stuff. Yeah. And I kind of hoped you'd stick with it. What were your overall thoughts so, now that you've finished it? Yeah, I think it, it does start really slow, and it has a little bit... It, certainly the first 25 minutes, 40 minutes, jumps around a fair old bit as well. You're kind of not really settled in one specific place long enough. You kind of, you would kind of jarred somewhere else. So it takes a while to pick up the certain characters and who's who and why they're there. And there's kind of three, arguably four central kind of characters as well. So it takes you a while to kind of get going there. But around halfway through, mm. it kind of gets quite tragic and there's kind of quite a few powerful deaths in it. And, you kind of feel that it's going to start to build towards something towards the end, like there's going to be shit going down. But instead of kind of having little kind of scenes where stuff happens, it doesn't do that. It just keeps building and building. You think something's going to happen, that they're going to get some retribution, then they kind Mm. of don't, or it doesn't happen, or they plan something else, and then it carries on building, building and building and building. So the final payoff was marvellous like it does feel like the wild bunch when it's just like you kind of when they leap yeah. over that wall the, the wall they leap yeah. over you're right now it's going to go down now it's going to happen and it my god does it happen yeah so yeah it's a lovely yeah. build it's very slower than i thought it would be um some nice character beats as well he kind of developed the characters quite well um but yeah a really nice payoff Really good payoff. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you're out there and you've heard a lot about John Woo, or you've seen clips on YouTube, but you've never sat and watched one of his movies, I wouldn't necessarily start with a Better Tomorrow Two because you might be sat there through endless ballroom sequences or or just you know 
lots of scenes of people just chatting away mm. and wonder what all the fuss is about. Um, but there are some very traditional John Woo stuff in this, and, and not just John Woo, a lot of kind of Hong Kong action and police films, mm. um, and that is that they're often quite melodramatic. Mm. So all the emotions are very kind of soap operation, very, very high, and people speak to each other about how much they love them and trust them and all this kind of stuff. And we have quite lots of kind of romanticised not just romantic relationships, actually kind of like friendships and family bonds between male characters and stuff mm. like that. They're always treated like romances would be in a romantic film. Um, but also, it was very common with both Wu and the heroic bloodshed kind of uh, genre is kind of deception and loyalty and people going undercover and masquerading as other people and betraying people and double-crossing people. Yeah. And there's always these layers of betrayal. Um, the Departed is obviously a remake of Infernal Affairs, which was a Hong Kong movie, um, I believe in the early 90s, maybe mid-90s. And that that idea of someone being undercover with the mob but also someone being undercover with the police yeah, is actually quite, kind of like dire heroic bloodshed. So I'm going to... Because the, the plot on the plot summary on IMDb basically says a restauranteur teams up with a police officer and his ex-con brother to avenge the death of a friend's daughter, which actually makes it sound really, really simple. But in my head, trying to work out how to explain the plot succinctly is really tricky. So yeah. I'm going to give it a go, but feel free to chip in if I've missed anything. So essentially, this is a sequel and it does carry on directly from the first mm. one, but I won't talk too much about the first one, otherwise it will get... Um, uh, so basically, you have a gangster character, if I remember rightly, is new to this film, called Lung. Yeah. Uncle, Uncle Lung, who owns a shipyard, and he is uh, has this kind of reputation. But when we meet him, he seems to be genuinely trying to leave his violent past behind and go straight. The police don't buy it, and so they place uh, in deep cover uh, a character called Kit, who is a returning character in the first film. And his brother, who is uh, a gangster played by uh, T. Lung, or Lung T, if we're yeah. going to get the names right the right way, uh, called Ho, um, is a criminal from the first film, and he's currently in prison. But they release him if he um, goes undercover in the gang to report him. So you've got uh, Uncle Lung, and then you've got two brothers, one who's an ex-con and one who's a police officer, both in cover uh, in his gang. Mm. Now, at the time as all this is happening... Um, there is an additional gang, another gang trying to buy out Lung's shipyard um, and turn it into uh, a more profitable organisation. And this seems to be um, invited in by Lung, Uncle Lung's right-hand man, mm-hmm. who's this very kind of um, uh, brown-nosing kind of subservient kind of character, um, nicely, but it seemed, you know, whatever. Um, but basically what happens is this servant character, this, this supposed friend has actually orchestrated a coup mm. and somehow manages with the help of an assassin on the other gang side to have uncle Lung kill the leader of the gang, mm-hmm. which he doesn't do, but make it look like that. Yeah. So he takes the blame and has to go into hiding. Yeah. The other gang leader is wiped out. This leaves the assistant character, who then becomes the main bad guy, to take over what's left and actually run a counterfeiting operation with American mobs. Yeah. So Uncle Lung has to vanish and go to New York to, to hide because he's now wanted by both police and rival gang members for doing this assassination, which he didn't do. Um, and that means our cop and his brother 
um, are now in place undercover in this new gang's uh, place, and it's a lot, lot rougher, and they're kind of up shit creek there. While in New York, Uncle Lung has to meet up with Chow Yun Fat's character. Yeah. Um, just so you know, his his name is actually Young Fat Chow, but somehow I believe in the the initial. I don't know whether he went with that to, as the American kind of way of doing things, or whether that was just how his label. But I'm going to refer to him as as uh, Chow Yun Fat from now on. Um, his character died in the first film. But obviously, he is a massive star. He was a breakout star in that film, um, and I'm on him back. So he plays the twin brother of his uh, dead brother from the first film, uh, called Ken, who um, owns a restaurant but is also supposed to be a super badass. And he helps Uncle Lung, who's been driven to madness by all the shit that's going on, plus the assassination of his daughter, to get back to China, to team up with the Kong and his brother, yeah. to then finally get revenge on the bad guys. And that's really putting it like there's loads of other stuff going on there, loads of deceptions and people betraying each other. But essentially, that's what happens. So we've got undercover police in Hong Kong and we've got uh, Chow Yun-Fat's character, Ken, trying to get Uncle Lung out of his kind of insane stupor and back to China to kick some ass while dodging assassins in New York. (sighs) Beautiful. I mean, the two things that to add from that, I mean, that, that that's pretty much the plot, like you say, with a few intricacies thrown in. Yeah. Uh, my observation from when the um, the criminal brother got kind of taken out and put into the gang, that, mm. fe- that kind of felt really quick. He kind of turned around to the police boss and went, can I do it instead? Police boss said, yes. Then it cut, he's back in the gang. It was like, oh. That, but that, there's clearly no paperwork or faffing about in, in Hong Kong, is there? They just go straight yeah, in yeah, there. Very much in. And he just turns up on the doorstep of his of this gang member and says, like, oh, I'm out of prison. Can I join your gang? Yeah, in you come. Yeah. You know, and so basically all this plot has basically been set up in the first half now. There's even characters introduced, like the daughter, who gets killed in 20 minutes and is never seen again. So there's yeah. people, there's lots happens plot-wise in the first half an hour although very little in the way of, of kind of gunfight stuff. There's a couple of bits and pieces, but... Um, yeah, it picked yeah. up for me when we go to the rice bar. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to get that because... That's my favourite scene. Really, Apart from the ending, that is my favourite scene. I think that's yeah, brilliant. so... Uh, and this is... this is We're going to talk about Cherry Unfat for a bit because he's there's a reason why he's such uh, a popular movie star and why, even though... He had limited success in the US, even why in the fact that when he turns up in films in in the US, he's great. And that's because he's not only very, very charismatic, but he um really likes to play about and have fun and he affects a lot of things. There's some um Clint Eastwood in his performance with the chewing, the matchstick and stuff like that. Mm. He's very aware of how to look iconic. Yeah. As but it's all it's not like a series of affectations. It's all fueled by this very likable, charismatic person. Um, and that's, I've always kind of seen him almost like the, um, the Asian Al Pacino. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the sense that sometimes he's doing stuff and you think this is absurd, but it's still really likable. Mm. Um, so first half hour, like I say, it's all set up. It's, there's lots going on, but there's very little in the way of, of, of action film stuff. When we meet, Chang Fat's character Ken, who is, we're told he's, you know, he he's supposed to be this tough guy, but he's basically owns a Chinese restaurant in New York. And we meet him when a 
very broadly drawn uh, mafia-type gangster um, starts spraying rice around his restaurant, clears the restaurant, and tells Chalion Fat uh, that he wants protection. And again, not subtly, he basically just explains, I'm a mafia person. If you don't pay me this money, I'm going to blow your restaurant up. Um, And rather than do like a as most Hollywood movies would do, like a classic kind of intimidation thing or whatever. The approach to intimidate this mafia person and to show how tough this Ken character is, played by Channel Fat, is, is odd. Um, yeah. And it basically revolves around him force-feeding him his rice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's brilliant. It, 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 you kind of wait for it to build and build, and it does, and it just gets better and better. Um, the gangster yeah. also looks a bit like, can we refer to the gangster as Kenny Everett? Because he looks Kenny like Everett, a slightly yeah. hard Kenny Everett. Yeah. Like a slightly tougher yeah. Kenny Everett. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good expression. So, yeah. It, and basically, he's he's very upset and very emotional. This guy's throwing his rice on the floor and he's telling him to eat the fucking rice over and over and over yeah. again. Um, pulls a gun on him, shoots a guy in the leg. He's literally got this guy at gunpoint. And then the police turn up. This is my observation from the New York segment of this film, is that the police really, really quick to respond to things. They turn up. Yeah. Within about five to ten seconds of shit going down, there's like police everywhere, um, and that's quite a funny moment because the the cop turns up, the American cop turns up and looks at him. He's just like, as if all oh, this happens every other yeah. week. Yeah, he's like, put the gun down. I'm not putting the gun down until this guy eats my rice, and he says you better eat his rice because he's not bluffing. Yeah. And so this guy he falsifies feeds this guy his rice, and the whole same time this scene is going on, his chair fat's covered in rice, like the guy threw rice over yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a brilliant, brilliant scene. And thankfully, that kind of launches the film into some action stuff. There's assassination attempts and there's a bit of a car chase um, and what have you. But I would say the, the first big action sequence and the, of the two, there's, there's three biggish action sequences. The, the two that really stand out to me are where they get attacked at the hotel and they, they uh, escape yeah. um, and obviously the finale. Before we go any further, I think we have to kind of address the, the, the Uncle Lung performance and the kind of performance of madness. Now, I will say this. This is not a particularly, I would say, accurate or sensitive portrayal of trauma. No. Um, it's very much be as mad as you can. Yeah. It's what I'd imagine if you had to, if you had a scene where you were like, I'd imagine like if you're in a film and you're walking through a medieval dungeon and you need to pan to someone in a cell who's been there for a hundred years and has gone mad yeah. for two seconds, that's what you would see. It's yeah, literally yeah. shaking and screaming yeah. and wide-eyed. It's for half the movie. Frothing um, in the mouth as well, like full-on foam in the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's not particularly accurate. But not to say that it's not, an impressive performance. I mean, this guy is acting with every part of his body. It looks like his eyeballs are going to explode at any point. He's just so tense. I reckon he went home and just ached from yeah. being tense all the time. Yeah. Um, but essentially, this action sequence, Chan, in fact, is trying to get this, this guy to snap out of his, his not, madness. Not in the most... Not in the, he's, he's trying to get him to snap out, but not, there's no sympathy towards his plight whatsoever. No. Like, he goes, right, you're not eating, then I'm not eating either. And that's a tantrum. Throws food everywhere, kicks an orange yeah. about the room. And there's a, there's, a, there's a bit when he's kind of got a picture of his doors that's cradling, which is quite harrowing and heartbreaking. Mm. He picks it up yeah. and rips it up and goes, and throws it, goes, you're not seeing that anymore. 
I, I will say we're we're a big fan of montages in um, mm. hardcasters, and it's not quite a montage, but I did like when he finally gets him to eat. It all for a minute. I thought we were going to have an eating montage of them because they're just laughing and eating, yeah, <laughs> which was quite good. Yeah. Um, so it's Jay and Fat in a hotel, the kind of hotel you'd see in Red Heat or Forty Eight Hours, a kind of Water Hill, <laughs> seedy American hotel. Yeah. And there's gang, there's assassins coming through the window up the stairs, um, and it's classic John Woo in a sense that what I really like about it is the geography is laid out. You know exactly the layout of the hotel. You know where there's a bad guy out on the stairwell. There's this many all positioned. You know the journey out of the hotel, mm. and Chan Fat has has got hold of this shotgun, which is a shotgun that pops up in quite a few films. I think it's believe, believed it's, a, it's an SPAS mm. twelve. Um, uh, it's the same gun that um, Rutger Howe uses at the end of the Hitcher. But John Rue manages to photograph it to make it look like the biggest gun in the universe. Yeah, and. Whatever squibs they're using, I mean, the amount of sparks that flies out the end of it. And when he shoots someone, he doesn't just, like, hit their body. Like, everything around them explodes at the same time. The, the poor guy, basically, the, the action scene starts. They're just having a conversation. And then Sharon Fat just turns, shouts, fuck you, mm. and fires at the guy out the window. And the window just explodes yeah. in slow motion. It's, it's incredible. And then that's it. it we're off. Um, and they're just blowing people to pieces left and right and centre. Then the theme pops in, and we need to talk about the theme tune. It's oh, amazing. Long. Doesn't really suit a gangster mm. movie. Nope. It's kind of like, uh, the best way I can describe it is like if Harold Faltermeyer wrote a superhero theme. It's kind of like a synth organ, yeah. but it's this really big heroic theme. And when that kicks in and they're walking down the corridor in slow motion, you think, brilliant. Then the shotgun gets dropped and yeah. two pistols come out um, and more people die. And then it, the the kind of topper on it is that Chan Fat pushes Uncle Lung down the stairs, leaps onto his back, and slides down the stairs on his back while firing two guns at a guy at the top of the stairwell. Um, then there's a bit of a car chase. This scene ends with the weirdest kind of moment where Uncle Lung basically looks like Chan Fat's going to die, hmm. and Uncle Lung picks up a gun and suddenly snaps back into it and just starts shooting people. Yeah, and like <clears throat> some happy music turns up and Chan Fat starts laughing as if, oh, he's back. And he's like, he's killing people. It's just <laughs> he's such a weird, everyone. happy yeah. moment. Like, I always remembered how to senselessly slaughter people. Um, I, I think the theme, and then we're off. Yeah, I think the themes are also kind of worth mentioning. Like, stopping on the themes is the, the, the kind of weird hero theme. And mm. there's the kind of happy music that cuts in. It's quite jarring. But also, I can't remember if it's the scene where he's helping him get through his sad point or where they're all together again back in, in China, which yeah, it, there's one part of it that comes on and it sounds like a synth version of the British sitcom, if, if there's any overseas listeners, you have to look this up, called Last of Summer Wine, which is basically mm. about doddery old people shuffling around the countryside in England just behaving like children and it, it's like, is that what we're going for? We're we going for a Hong Kong action, yeah. last of summer wine. It's, it's just very strange. It's very strange. But then we're off. I mean, this this film then becomes a full on action film. There's, there's a good scene where there's a bit of a car chase, and they're kind of they ran this car up the backside and laying out the windows, and they're shooting into the car as the two cars are driving along, kind of connected mm. almost, which is good fun. The the main the 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 young cop who's undercover character. Um, get some real shit he's, he's got a pregnant 
wife um, and part of his cover, he has to romance the daughter. And then once all the shit goes down and Lung has to flee, he takes that woman home yep. to protect her and has to introduce her to his wife. So his pregnant wife is meeting the the younger woman who this guy's pretending to get off with. And he's, he comes across like a bit of a prick in that. In that. Mm. And then there's a scene where, which I lose at the start, where um, his brother has to shoot him Mm. twice in front of all the other gang members to maintain cover. And you think at that point he's going to die. Yeah. But he survives. But then about 20 minutes later, he gets shot again and then actually dies. Yeah. Um, And he dies talking to his wife over the phone as she's given birth. Um, And then we're at the funeral and they're all, so we've got Che and Fat, we've got Uncle Lung, who's now back in full gangster mode. Um, we've got the brother who's played by uh, an actor called T Lung, who was in all, a lot of the old Shaw Brothers kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. He's, he's quite a gifted martial artist, yeah. and they're all in black and white, black suits and white shirts. So again, another influence for Tarantino, who did in early films borrow a lot from kind of Hong Kong cinema. And as you as you say, there's this moment where they jump over a wall into the enemy kind of compound, which is a big house. The theme wraps up. Mm-hmm. They have a tooling up montage, and off we go. Just one thing, the, the bit where they jump over the wall is great because they pr- it's a really high wall really, yeah. and they probably like superhero jump over it. But then we cut to another shot of them coming towards the camera and it's very clear the actor playing Uncle Lung just stacks it and he start, he's falling <laughs> like horizontally. Yeah. Like he's, on his, everyone else is kind of landing on their feet and he's clearly going to land on his, on his side. Yeah. But what I also like, so before we get into the main action, what I like about this is that essentially... The Uncle Lung character um, and the brother character Ho sort of going together, and Chang Fat goes by himself. And Chang Fat is not—he's in a very—he's in his outfit from the first film. So the idea is he's borrowed his brother's coat. Yeah, and he's got the big pair of sunglasses, a long kind of trench coat, matchstick in his mouth. His jacket's loaded with grenades, um, but he just seems to refuse to try and be like a tough guy, and he's just dicking around the whole time. Yeah. And there's a, there's a moment where he like he throws some grenades into a house and it blows up, and we, we, we're setting up for the classic hero in front of an explosion shot. But as it goes off, he literally shits himself. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, uh, it's a great you know, gurn as well. He gurns for, for for Hong Kong. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, but still manages to, to come off as cool. So this this ends action sequence. So it's three of them versus what seems like about a thousand bad guys. Yeah in a white house and that white house gets just covered in blood and debris and bullet holes. Yeah. Um, and what I love about this is there's any pretense of realism vanishes really quick. Mm. They're doing things like, you know, firing a gun and just moving it from left to right. And hundreds of people just leap into the air and die. Like it's no one really reloads unless they absolutely have to Mm. things blow up for no reason. There's just grenades going off all the time. At one point, a fish tank explodes. Yeah, it just goes it is, to shit. Yeah, it's, it's just bullets everywhere. Um, and it's just full of, like, one, and literally, like, there's bits where people just, like, literally, like, 20 people just pile into a corridor and are just getting mowed down by people just firing all over the corridor. Um, blood is flying in front of the camera, past mm. the camera. Um one of my favourite moments in that fit in that entire sequence is a bit where 
Chairman Fat, he's blown up the, the, the room. He goes up and says, no, 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 sorry to the guys about to shoot him and kills him. Mm. And he shoots a bunch of people off camera. And then this guy just randomly flies towards him, like as if he's on a cable. But yeah. obviously he shot him, but not shot him backwards. He shot him. The guy flies. And he even just at, genuinely steps out of the way to avoid this guy flying right past the camera. Physics do not apply here. I mean, what that guy, that guy must have been catapulted off of something. Yeah. Any particular gags in that that you you liked? Well, I, I think I think that, like you say, the, the Charlie on Fat kind of almost kind of blowing stuff up, you know, kind of and getting it right. There's another bit when he he puts a load of grenades downstairs, lets it go, stands by a door, realizes that he's going to get blown across the room, gets blown across the room, and again just gurns full on as he's flying across the room, um, which he he probably should have died at that point with the, the amount of explosives that yeah. he's put down there. He should be dead. Um, they all get yeah. shot about 60 times as well. Uncle Lung gets shot about eight, 85 times. Um, he, I don't know how he's, yeah. he wasn't dead. Chang in fact, gets shot kind of with a, in a kind of gun battle with someone stood right opposite him about, you know, 10 times. Who's the, who's the mysterious, silent kind of assassin character who's yeah. kind of... He looks a bit like... What was the character in um, Allo Allo who was the German, the camp German who had a tank? Oh, Gruber. Gruber. He reminds me of Gruber. Um, Brilliant. And it's a lovely moment where the gangster sort of says, um, gives him a, sticks a pile of cash in front of him on a table and says, um, that's your cut, you can go. And he walks off. And this assassin guy just looks at the money and he walks off and leaves it. It's like, no, I'm, I do this for fun. I think he you know, tutted um, as well. He looks at the money and just tutted as if it's making a mess on yeah. the table. It's like, oh. No. Don't cheapen this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, basically, Chow and Fat, so he, he's loaded up everything with grenades. He rests against the door. The whole thing blows up and blows him, sends yeah. him flying. Um, and then this poor guy turns around the corner and Chow and Fat pulls out two guns and unloads both of them, fully unloads both clips into this one person. Yeah. He's yeah. dead in the first shot, but fires another kind of 60 bullets into him. Um, and then sort of suddenly spins around, this, this assassin's there, and they shoot each other at close range, and they kind of rest up against the wall. And this is really proper John Woo stuff now. Then they shoot each other in the legs, and they drop. And this is, and this is another thing that, that Chao Yun-Fat's good at. The way Chao Yun-Fat drops to his knees, and rather than sort of put his hand down, he, he rests on the barrel of the gun to stop himself falling. Yeah. And it's such a really cool kind of iconic pose he does. And Chao Yun-Fat's out of bullets, and, and so the, the two of them looking at each other, and then the bad guy, being a kind of chivalrous assassin that he is, slides Chan Fat another gun so they can have a proper shootout. And they both just die to the floor and shoot each other a few more times. But um, yeah, by the end of it, they're all shot to shit. The house is on fire and burn and covered in blood. At one point as well, which we didn't mention, what I like about this is you constantly think this shootout's ended and then a whole other bunch of shit comes off. Yeah. And then when you generally think this is coming to an end... Suddenly, some guy pulls out a, a fucking silver axe um, and starts yeah. having a go at someone. And then the person he's having a go at, Ho, someone chucks him a samurai sword. Yeah. And he has a go. And then he just starts cutting motherfuckers up with a samurai sword left, right, and centre. Yeah, it's brilliant. Because you think, oh, it's quite a nice little relief from all the gunplay because it's kind of a nice, kind of, you know, really kind of yeah. visceral sword fight. It had everything. It had got everything. The only thing it was missing was jetpacks. That was all he was missing. Yeah. Um, and it ends with the three of, with the three of them just sat in in, in comfortable chairs, um, heavily bleeding, 
and the police arrive and they're just like, what? What are you going to do? And it kind of ends there. You don't really get much of a resolution. They just killed everyone. Um, it's brilliant. And you forget, even watching this, I mean, I've seen this a few times now, even I forgot like how slow a start it is because when it ends, you forget about that first half an hour. You think you've just watched a Michael Bay movie. like You think it's just wall to action and then you suddenly realise, I know, there's a good like half hour, 40 minutes of, of fuck all. Um, yeah. But they've packed in a feature film's worth of action into the last kind of half an hour. I'm so good about uh, it, I think, because you feel like you got such a, such a, like it was building for so long, and you feel like you got such a satisfactory, like, it, you, characters kept dying, so that, you know, the um, his fake girlfriend died, which is quite sad, had an effect on the Uncle Lung character. Then um, the, you know, the kind of young cop died. Um, then there's that shootout, there's a shootout in, in New York when it's kind of um, in a, it, which I think pushes um, Uncle Lung on, on, on the back under his, his mental breakdown. It's a shootout yeah. in a church when a, a little girl dies. I think, I don't know if he's ever confirmed, but it's quite harrowing. Yeah. And so all these things happen, and you, you kind of, you keep ticking, and they get set up in a warehouse as well. There's a warehouse scene where you think they're going to kick ass, but actually they get set up, and the cops arrive, and it blows up. So all this happens to them. So it's really nice payoff. You go right now. They're going to get their they kind of get their revenge, and it and it's so so satisfying, so satisfying. Now, one thing I will mention, which I was struck me as odd, is that obviously because of we're in lockdown and stuff, I, it's difficult to get hold of. Um, I couldn't lend you my DVD copy of this, so I was trying to find a decent version on YouTube that you could see, and there was we had trouble finding one that had or didn't have subtitles, but. The ver- all the versions that are on YouTube, which I know are there illegally and ripped, I don't know at what point, but the sound effects are all different to the version I've got on DVD. So all the sound effects, all the gun sound effects and punch sound effects, sound especially like they've been taken from your standard garage band um, library of sound effects. If you've ever done the... I mean, a lot of the ones you'll, you'll hear in our intro sequence probably turn up in this film so i don't know whether maybe for a blu-ray release or a re-release someone went in and redid the sound but my version on dvd the the sound effects are all different they're they're a lot for my money better because they're a bit old more old-fashioned they're crunchy and uh they don't feel quite as slick and they're timed better um i just thought that was an odd curiosity i don't know Mm. at what point someone decided to, to redouble the sound effects um but yeah if you watch this, don't give up or don't skip the first half hour or so because as much as it might seem a bit like what's going on, it does pay off. It does build the tension adequately and it is worth sitting through um, to get to that finale. And if you like this kind of stuff, then you know the rest of John Woo's stuff is only better. Um, Bullet in the Head, uh, The Killer, Hard Boiled, and then in the, U- the US, Hard Target, and to a lesser extent, in terms of what he's used to, but still, for my money, great in other ways, face-off. We're going to have to do more John Woo at some point. Have you ever seen Blackjack with Dolph Lundgren? I haven't, no. I haven't. That's you know, one of the Dolph Lundgren films I've never, never gone near. Do you know anything about it? No. So, <clears throat> essentially, John Woo came over, he made Hard Target, but in between making big movies like Hard Target... Wait, well, it wasn't a big movie. That was a, a, a kind of mid, mid, mid-range action film, but Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. And Broken Arrow, he would do that, and then he would make uh, 
a kind of straight-to-video or TV action film. So he, I think he made like a Once a Thief, which is like a remake of one of his one of his Hong Kong movies. But it's a kind I don't know whether it's a TV pilot or a TV movie. Then he made Broken Arrow, I think, and then he made um, Blackjack with Dolph Lundgren, which is like a straight-to-video action film um, before making Face Off. But we'll do uh, Blackjack soon. All I'm going to say to you is. I want you, when we watch this, I want you to sit down and watch this film cold. So don't read anything, don't look at a plot synopsis, because there's one central conceit to the Dolph Lundgren's character, which is just one of the weirdest and best kind of character traits you can give an action hero that culminates in one of the weirdest moments in a film action film I've ever seen. So I just want you to go in cold. Um, we'll we'll we'll, right. we'll do that one soon. Um, okay, but before we go any further, um, we've got some keyword business to 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 wrap up now. Last episode, uh, we did Tough Delhi, and we added and have successfully had approved the following three keywords: star jump, <laughs> rolling around, and cuddle, yes. <laughs> which yes. just makes me really really happy that those three things have been added. To the tough, and there's not, there wasn't a lot of keywords in Tough and Deadly, so they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Now, there are only 26 plot keywords for A Better Tomorrow 2, and I don't think um, really it goes to the lengths that we want here. So, triad, gangster, mobster, policeman, criminal underworld, mob boss, Chinese-American, brother-brother relationship, father-daughter relationship, New York, Hong Kong, criminal. It's got heroic bludged in there, so someone knows what they're doing. Neo-noir, maybe, bloody violence, good versus evil, 1980s. That sounds like someone's complaining about it. Oh, bloody violence. Oh, oh, just (laughs) someone tutting. (laughs) No one... There's nothing in there that suggests it's quite as extreme or as mad as it as it possibly is. So first and foremost, I think we've got to have a reference to the rice eating scene. Yeah, I was going to say, can we have angry so, rice? Angry rice. What about force-fed rice? Okay, yeah, I like that. Um, we need we need some sort of reference to the the mad the breakdown as well to the mad breakdown. Yeah, can um, we have mad orange? Because or, or, or uh, joyful eating, <laughs> yes. Now, I I am obsessed. So you may not even noticed it. So when when Chang when they start throwing grenades into that house at the end, I said there's a fish tank that explodes. Mm. Basically, there's a shot of a fish tank. There's a ball of flyer in front of it, and then the fish tank explodes as if fire comes within it. Now, so I've watched that end sequence three times mm. in the last week. And every time I look at that fish tank exploding, on the third time, there is actually a plastic fish, a silver plastic fish, hanging in that fish tank. Okay. So I really want to put exploding fish in. Go for it. Go for it. In. And I would say as well that none of these already exist as keywords. So we're not just adding these as keywords to this film. We are adding these to IMDb. No one on IMDb has ever put exploding fish force-fed rice, or joyful eating. Do you know, do you know what this so, is like? Um, this is like we're adding to the Bible.
think there's a couple of things that are going to differ this week. One, we generally like to just do this on the fly, but we've kind of, we haven't contrived this. Uh, you've decided on who you want as the actor, and I agree yeah. that would be great. And I've secretly decided something that I haven't told you about yet, but we're still going to kind of, okay. you know, make as we go. The other thing is, <clears throat> I... I don't think it would be wise for us to try and pitch a legitimate Hong Kong movie. No. Because I think we, firstly, I think our combined knowledge of, of Hong Kong actors who are working at the time, I only know the ones that I know from the series of films, so I wouldn't quite have the same uh, bulk of knowledge to draw from when casting. But also, we would be relying on our knowledge of of, of of Chinese culture based on a few movies, which I don't think would, would be particularly um, well-informed. No. So rather than us pitching, uh, I think we'll, we'll do a, a Hong Kong, a heroic bloodshed style action film. Yeah. Now you've, you were, you were very keen on doing this kind of movie yeah. starring Ray Winston. Yeah. Ray Winston all the way. hundred percent there. And it could be Ray Winston, from 20 years ago, it could be Ray Winston as he is now. I don't care. I think he, he'll be great, whatever. I think he would be a great Chayun Fat stand-in. Yeah. Um, now, whatever we do, this is this is my plan for tonight, is that we'll obviously come up with the character, but the thing I love about these movies is just how convoluted the characters are. Okay. How they're betraying this person. Now, even hard-boiled, you have a... Uh, a cop character going up against what he sees as a gangland enforcer who's actually an undercover police officer who's also betraying his current gang boss for another gang boss. Just all these layers of deception. Mm. So I think, although we're going to have just some big action sequences, I'm, I think we should come up with the most convoluted situation for this character to be in. Yes. And so we're going to, we'll talk a little bit about Ray Winston's character, but as we go through this every now and again, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to throw in things that massively complicate, like twists and things he has to do. Yes. Um, until I want to get to the point at the end where not even we know what's going on in the film that we've created. Brilliant. It's so convoluted. Fantastic. Um, but I think we can, which we didn't use last week, um, go back to this the film title generator dust her off uh dust her off uh, yeah get, um get her going now obviously we're, we're looking for a, a slightly more kind of elevated possibly even more poetic kind of thing rather than the usual you know hard fist or whatever well i mean already i just opened it the one that's there is viral darkness 2 implosive choice um which i like is this, we could always uh, even go back to Pocket of Wind and have him implosive choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Pocket of Wind is great because we could have, his name could be either yeah. Frank Pocket or <laughs> Frank Wind. Luck, lucky Fight, the next chapter, Scarlet Blues. <laughs> I like Lucky Fight. Yeah. Saucy Choice. Savage Nights. Ignorant chain, or, and or ignorant lessons. <laughs> Crazy law. Crazy law's good. Yeah, I like that. Extended proposition. T- 
Texas fingers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, slow explosion. See, I'm just. And we do this every. We do this a lot, and we get this out, and then we come up with a better time ourselves. I'm still not finding anything that's beating a pocket of wind. The the, the title generator's just thrown up as a genuine title. Computer shit. <laughs> It's not happy with you. It's not happy with you. No. It's a pocket of wind, isn't it? <laughs> so basically, That's... we've been inspired to create a film based on my shit digestion of a fizzy drink and subsequently yeah. sounded a bit like Mick Jagger. Yeah. Now, as much as Frank Pocket is a great name, I think a pocket of wind does... Like it's a little bit of, and I do like the idea that we're going to get a little bit of this character. Yeah. So I think his surname should be Wind. Yeah. And I well, think if he's got such a short one-syllable surname, he needs a very long multi-syllable first name. Yes. Is Ray Winston playing? I mean, we're not going to give him an accent, are we? He's going to be proper East End. Oh, all day long. Winston. Yeah. There's no accent. Yeah, he's full on East End. Um. But I'm already going to lay down some some layers of, of complication. He's it's in America. So what's it? What's his first name? Um, I think it should be something that sounds like a posh English bloke, but he's like the opposite mm. of a posh English bloke. So something like Bingford. <laughs> Bingford Wind. <laughs> Bentley. Um, it, Bentley. Yeah, Bentley Wind. I like Bentley Wind. Bentley Wind. Yeah. He's he's an orphan who grew up in orphanages, so mm-hmm. he didn't have a traditional kind of upbringing. He fell in with the wrong crowd as a young man. Yeah. And did something really bad. <clears throat> but in order to get out of that, he struck a deal with the police to inform on the gang he was involved in. Right. Then... In order to escape retribution and shame, he then joined the army. Mm-hmm. While there, he was caught in an explosion and lost his memory and was retrained as an elite operative yeah. in like the SAS. Then he retired and came back to England. But in order to keep his secret past, he worked like Chang and Fat works as a restaurateur he worked at, he, he owned an ice cream van. Okay. So it's the old thing, uh, like Casey Ryback being a cook. Yeah. Um, he seems like an ice cream vendor, but he's got a secret past as an SAS operative, and prior to that was a gang member who informed on his gang for the police. Okay. So he's got people in, in, out in prison who want him dead. Yeah. Who we informed on? He's got police contacts mm-hmm. and a police past. He's got SAS contacts, yeah, and he's an ice cream man. Now, the police have called him up. They approached him, and he didn't remember anything about this because he doesn't remember anything before he was an SAS person. And so he's been sent to America. This is how we join him as part of an ice cream convention. Okay. And while there, he keeps getting approached by people who want him in on a mission. Mm. And he doesn't know who they are. At the same time, he's getting attacked by ex-gang members who want him dead. There's also 
a kind of mercenary character who has like an elite squad of people who are operating in the US, kind of like the A-team, but who want him dead because he knows the secret from these SAS days about one of them. So you've got elite vigilante mercenary group on American soil. You've got British gang members following him to the US. You've got the American police who are trying to talk to him and he doesn't, He's, he doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the, the 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 original gang that he helped, excuse me, defeat mm. um, are now in America as well. So two gangs, the old one, the new one, elite mercenary group and the US police department. And he just wants to go to the ice cream convention. Can I add a caveat? Now, other than that, you go, go for it. Go for it. Can he, he's been put in the ice cream business because they they can't get the secret out of him, like the elite kind mm. of SES people, and he's got it's things in his head they need to unlock. So like the born identity, he's got something in there he's trying to remember. But mm. basically, the, the the number 99 would unlock everything. So they're trying to get him in the ice cream van to, if the, the, the word 99 unlocks this huge plethora of stuff in there. So they bugged the van, waiting for him mm. to have complete recall. So his 99, yes. you know, they're waiting for the, you know, the kind of secret 99 to unlock it. But for some reason, he never says it. So, yeah. you know, the kind of uh, ice cream with the 99, he can't say that. He just, he, it's a word he can't yeah. say. So he has a tick that he, he has to if, avoid yeah. using that word. Can he also have like a, a Rain Man like ability to count hundreds and thousands? Yes. Like he literally, like when he's selling ice cream, someone will say to him, um, they'll try and get him to do a 99. And he said, I don't do them. And to distract him, he goes, Look, how many hundreds of thousands do you want? And they say 200. And he just picks out 200 straight away and puts them on. Yeah. And count them. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And that's going to be his catchphrase is whenever he does something cool, he just says, he instructs the person that you to count count it. You can count that, count them, yeah. whatever. Bullets Brilliant. as well. Brilliant. Um, so he's got a savant ability as well. Yeah. As well as uh, there's this code he knows. If he says it, all of his past is going to come flooding back. Yeah. Um, okay, so we meet him. He's going to the US to sell ice cream. Mm. Um, and he thinks he's being followed. And I'm going to say in the airport, you know, when you, this is, all right, we're going to go proper John Woo here. So he, he, he approaches the airport. He's walking across um, the departure lounge. And as he's walking, we go into lots of slow motion, lots of deep focus stuff. So with the cameras are white back, we're zoomed in. So all the people in the foreground are really blurry. Everyone in the background is really blurry. And he can see people following off the plane. He can see the police at the, the, at the window and they've got a card with his name on it. Just says wind. <laughs> um, but then there is someone else there in dark sunglasses and long trench coat that's also got a sign on it with B, B wind on it. Um, and then there's airport security. So we've got lots of, you know, shots, lots of spirit Western shots of him like watching in slow motions. He looks towards that person, yeah. towards that person. And we have lots of kind of atmospheric music. And then the the other person with the sign opens up the trench coat and pulls out a shotgun in slow motion. We then cut to the police pulling out their guns. Wind then um, 
he's he carries a gun with him anyway because you know ice cream vending is a dangerous thing but he's got one on him anyway the security guards put out guns and then we have this big pecking par-esque john wu-esque shootout in the uh the airport there'll be a bit where he has to leap onto the baggage collection tr- uh conveyor belt yeah and while he's on that he's shooting yeah uh, he throws a suitcase up in the air shoots it and underwear comes out and drops onto people's heads um one of the things can we have going in uh I want him to get on one of those little you know little trolleys that 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 drive up yeah, drive around yeah, in get one of them. Can yeah, he, he can be on the bonnet hat, steering with one hand behind him, shooting with the other. Can there be a bit where uh, he drives past like um you know those kind of um those bars that serve those kind of huge foot long margaritas in like a little and there's like a holiday everyone's drinking them. And bullets whizzing past, and there's all this kind of margarita and cocktail umbrellas and stuff going everywhere, and people kind of being covered yeah. in exotic You know, what I also want to see get sharp are those weird seafood bars at airports. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want in my stomach when I'm going to go on a long haul flight is fucking seafood. Yeah. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. But yeah. every airport's got them. I mean, a glass of champagne and a pot of prawns. Um, so that just gets obliterated. Yeah, yeah, the people um, in it as well. People in it as well. Absolutely. And so that ends with um, Bentley Wind in police custody. Mm. And they're like, you're here for a reason. We were told you were coming. We were told you had information that can help us. It's like, no idea. I'm here for an ice cream convention. Well, who are they? Don't know. Who are they? Don't know. Mm. Then we're going to go into a sequence where he's not so much tortured, but kind of heavily interrogated. Yeah. And this is where they're trying to get him to unlock the the 99 thing. Yeah. And I think they should do that fairly early on. Okay. Just because it means we can add extra layers as we go along. I think like Better Tomorrow 2, we should get a lot of stuff out of the way in the first half an hour. Yeah. So let's say that he unlocks it and all his memories comes back and he knows now, oh, I'm here to help you track down these gang members um, who are working with this assassination team from my days in the SAS. Mm. While people from that just got out of prison in the UK are trying to get me, I've got loads of enemies. You can count them, which is his catchphrase. And so, to infiltrate the gang, he has to go undercover, mm. and he has to romance the gangster's daughter. Yeah, and that's his in. So he's going to pretend he's not an ice cream man, mm. nor is he an SAS person, nor is he a cop, nor is he a gangster. Although the, all four of those things are true. Yeah, he's now going to be another gang member in the US who uh, wants to romance the gangster's daughter and become a a heavy for the gang. Yeah. So we now go into a kind of gang initiation segment of the film. Can I throw in something and as always well? The, uh, in yeah. terms of if kind of his unlocking of the 99, if we play on the melodramatic <laughs> element of the Hong Kong films where, like the emotional breakdown, doing that has released two other episodes from his past where he's released something like bodily ticks. So he he remembers that he tortured someone in a chip shop. Um yeah. with um by kind of in putting them in hot fat and inserting um a hot sausage into a part of their body. So he shouts mm-hmm. bastard savaloys or oi oi savaloy when he gets stressed yeah. or at a moment of ecstasy. <laughs> or yeah. when 
when he's shooting someone or when he's nervous. Also yes. what happened, those three things, he involuntarily breaks wind. So yes. in the middle of a shootout, in the middle of ecstasy, and when he's very nervous. Not a huge one. It's only a pocket wind, so just like a little squeak <laughs> or a little pop. Yeah. And I think major. Little Tommy squeakers. <laughs> yeah. We squeak it all day long. Um. <laughs> so he, he shouts, Bastard Savaloy, little squeak. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. whatever. It's kind of like the Hulk, but yeah. instead of turning green, he shouts, Oi, Oi, Savaloy, <laughs> and does a tiny little blow off. Yes. <laughs> Great. So he's trying to get into the gang. So here he's going to have romantic stuff. He takes the, the, the daughter out on dates. <laughs> you know, there could be a scene where they're getting along very well and he go, <laughs> makes a little squeaky noise and shouts, <laughs> bastard Savaloy. But he shouts um, it really loud. He doesn't just say it, he shouts it at the top of his voice, like really loud. Yeah, yeah. But the idea, this is all in a kind of... Um, a kind of montage with lots of dissolves and romantic Another thing about heroic bloodshed films is they have lots of songs with lyrics. Yes. That are very those talking about love and stuff to play out. So we're going to have a special recorded song with lyrics about the past and emotions and feelings and memories. Yeah. But in the middle of this montage, I mean, again, you just cut to him shouting bastard Savaloy's or making a fart noise. And as the montage goes on and he gets deeper in, the the farts and the bar savoys become like a drum beat, like the rhythm section. <laughs> it gets faster and faster. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, so now at this point is where we are. He's, he's told he can go on and act as a, as a bodyguard for the gangster who leads the mob when they do their deal. So it's going to be a warehouse shootout. Yeah. The mob are there. Bentley wind is there. And this gang are doing a deal with uh, an arms deal with this mercenary, ex-military mercenary unit who are selling the gang guns yeah. so they can take over whatever turf. And that's where, you know, again, they're having this deal and Bentley wins there and he turns around and the, the bad guys turn, they're all on motorbikes with yeah. black visored crash helmets on. And when they take off the helmet and he sees this guy... Mm. He does a little fart <laughs> and realises this is a guy from his past who he came across uh, during his time as an SAS officer. They were partners and this guy is going to recognise him. And he thinks, oh, it's all over. This guy's going to recognise who I am. And he doesn't say anything. And then the police arrive because, as another layer, there is a rival police officer who wants this case more than this team yeah. who's trying to ruin it. So they arrive. And there's a big shootout, big warehouse shootout. And in it, and this is very hard-boiled, Bentley Wind and his ex-military contact come face-to-face. And it turns out the the military guy is also an undercover agent here to bust this this gang. So we end up with him as a gangster who is actually an ice cream salesman, who is actually an SAS person, who is actually a cop, who is actually an ex-gangster who's working with the police, yeah. going up against an ex-military guy who joined a mercenary group, but he's actually there for the for the British government to infiltrate this, and a cop who wants them to fail so his career can get better, and the gang who he's um, with. 
Brilliant. Right, we're on top of this. Who's going to play the SAS guy that he's a, a the old SAS he's compadre? Old I think that should be someone British, someone who needs to be a kind of on Ray Winston's... Craig Fairbrass. Yes, perfect. Who, for those who don't know, is a British guy who was in Cliffhanger. He was in a film with Keith Allen, where Keith Allen played like a, um, a Hannibal Lecter-style character called Bedlam or Beyond Bedlam, mm. which is That's weird. Right. It's like Die Hard and Silence of the Lambs, but not as good as either. And he popped up in East End as well. He's also... Tends to be, I think he was a voice on a lot of the Call of Duty games, yeah. and I think he pops up in a lot of straight-to-video Green Street movies or British gangster movies. He was also in the film <laughs> Revengement with Scott Adkins, which is an amazing movie. Um, is there anything we particularly want to happen in the shootout? I think there should be, there's lots of oil drums there. I think lots of kind of people getting covered in oil and just burning. Um hmm. I think something really odd needs to happen, like the fish tank. I think something needs to explode. That you go, what was that? Why was that exploding? Can I, I know. They... Go on. I've got one, but go on. <laughs> My one's a little bit out. I just immediately, again, there's no reason for this. It's just the first thing that popped into my head. Is a panda exploding. <laughs> See, mine's not that, <laughs> that dissimilar. I was thinking of a giant piñata that they, everyone right. shoots and thousands of skittles call out of it. And then Frank Wynn gets distracted. He starts trying to count them. He's kind of another one of his little ticks comes out and he tries counting all these skills. And everyone's like, what are you doing? We're in the middle of a shootout. Yeah, he's... Okay. Um, so it's 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 a piñata factory <laughs> and in the middle, giant panda piñata that yep. explodes. It's like the... Um, the face in the scene in Face Off when the, when the little boy is listening somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> yeah. It all goes quiet. And he's looking at all these skills, and it's overwhelming for him. He's just all these numbers. And then he starts to count people he's shooting, (laughs) but that will equate to the number of skills on the floor. So he only shoots the exact number of people that the skills. Right. um, While occasionally farting and shouting about Savaloys. At the end, when they're walking out, there's like a a guy who runs the factory, kind of there, like with a clipboard, just amazed. And he goes, and he just says, oh, it's 644. Uh, 200 strawberry, 300 lime, <laughs> and the guy just like, right here. Can, and that's that's how it ends. Can I add um, another layer of, of stuff as well? Yep. So I think after the shootout's gone down, everyone's trying to pick the pieces up, and he's, he's kind of a bit on board with the US cops. So one of the ones that have kind of wants the case more, he's come back. And then they usher mm. him into this room, and out comes... This other guy that uh, Bentley Wynn remembers, who was one of his liaisons in Britain, so one of his kind of top aides who kind of helped him through the system that he went through. But because this cop wants it more, he's a bit of a shit compared to the other cop who doesn't want it as more. And this British guy, he's not there to help Bentley Wynn. He's embarrassed because he's like, I don't want this getting back to London. England can't know about this. I need to shut this down. So he's there as a bureaucrat who's trying to get on board with one of the cops to shut all this down. But he's got his own agenda anyway. So he's trying to... We don't, we're never yeah. not sure what he's up to to the end. And we'll come up with another thing he's up to at the end. So he's uh, kind yeah. of a, a hard-as-nails mentor figure who we think is trying to help, but actually he's on the betrayal list as well. Now, I'm going to throw something in here as well. So we now have this moment where Bentley Wynn is well in with the... Um, 
in with the with the gang. <clears throat> and as a reward for doing so well in the warehouse shootout, him and his wife, uh, sorry, him and the, the gangster's daughter, who is romancing, go for a romantic break somewhere. Um, and they have another romantic montage interspersed with fighting and subloids. <laughs> and there'll be a point where they're at a restaurant and they order dessert and they can't get the ice cream machine to work. And he goes, oh, I'll get it. And he does it. And she's like, hang on a minute. How do you know how to do that? Treating it like it's a really unique skill. And he says, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not who you think I am. Um, and he, he tells his story and he goes, I'm very sorry to be here, but you've got to realize your dad is a bad person. And she goes, I know because I'm not who you think I am. And she is the wife of the SAS guy right. who is also working with him. It's an even deeper cover. So deep. She's pretending to be the gangster's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> That's how deep she's in. Brilliant. A daughter that went away to study in another country very early on and is now in a prison somewhere. She's come back pretending to be the daughter. Now, this is going to lead to a scene where they get caught out, or the mm. daughter gets caught out, and the gangster has got the daughter and says, I found out that I don't think you are who I, you said you were, and I don't tell it very lightly, and he orders Bentley to kill her. So Bentley has got to kill the wife of the person who he thinks is his friend, although he's not, because he's the SAS guy, in front of the gang member to maintain cover, even though he loves this woman as well. Mm. But we do the other thing where he, he, get, he gives her a locket in the restaurant and he yeah. shoots the locket and the bullet gets wedged in the locket. Okay. So it looks like she dies, but she doesn't. And this leads to <clears throat> the finale. Oh, and that's the other thing as well, because essentially the arms deal went bad. <clears throat> the SAS <clears throat> ex-SAS kind of group mm. want to destroy the gang as retribution yeah and so the SAS to pretend that Bentley is the bad guy because he's part of the gang even though he's got a secret agenda as mm. well um, we've got the bad police yeah we've got the gang yeah and this is all going to come to a head where let's have a shootout on a yacht on a, on a cruise liner not a cruise, like a boat cruise line, like a large boat, like yeah. his personal yeah, like yacht a, a luxury to yacht. get away. Yeah. And Bentley's with him as bodyguard. Mm. The SAS guy found his wife, who was previously masquerading as the gangster's daughter, in a coma, mm. saw the bullet with a picture of Bentley in it with a bullet through it and mm. realised he must have given that to her and saved her life. Yeah. So now he's back on side with Bentley, mm. even though his group want them dead. Yeah. So the SAS, the mercenary group, launch an attack on this boat mm. while the, them and the gang are fighting, Craig Fairbrass and Ray Winston mm. team up yeah. and take them both out. Yeah, brilliant. But this is where, as well where you think it's, it's going to end and they're doing well. There's another two boats that appear. One's got the bad police on it and the other boat is the, his ex-mentor figure who we think was working mm. with the bad police, but like working, pretending to work with the bad police because he's trying to save Ray, uh, Bentley Wind. But actually, mm. he's still trying to cover all this stuff up so he's going to go back to London. So he's assembled his own crack team from London yeah, who are ex-SES blacklisted bastards to take them on as well. So mm -hmm. you've got this bad cop with his bad cops and you've got the uh, mentor figure who I'm thinking is played by the bloke who played Burnside. In the bill, so um, and 
I'll look it up. Hang on. Burnside is a British television police procedural drama. I don't think it was no, procedural. It There's no procedure. Uh, Chris Ellison. Chris Ellison. So Chris, Chris Ellison, Ellison. <clears throat> has, has got his own ex-really hard bastards together to take it out because they, they, they've got no morals and no ethics. So they, they've been blacklisted by the SAS. The bad cops... And they arrive on jet skis. What's that? Yes, they arrive on jet skis. All day long. Jet skis, yep, yep, jet skis. Um, in, <laughs> in fact, what, what obviously... Uh, the film we mentioned before didn't have was um, jetpacks. So <laughs> Christopher Ellison um, leads his team. They're all on jet skis, but he's on a jetpack <laughs> on one of those kind of big water. You know the ones that you sit on in water, you get sprayed around yeah. all over the place. He's on one of them. Um, so he's yeah. he's kind of charging towards the boat on one of them. Yeah. So what wants to happen is that they've got a speedboat as well, and the speedboat. So basically, the jet skis are arriving in formation. Yeah. And the speedboat drives in front, and out the back they drop floating ramps, so the the, the jet skis can drive up the ramps yeah. onto the deck of the ship, like through the window. So literally, they're in like inside the boat, and then smashing through a window comes someone on a jet ski. Yeah. Firing machine guns. Brilliant. With Burnside driving, <laughs> flying around in circles on a, on a jetpack, firing machine guns. Just, just and firing so in circles. Becomes, so then it becomes <clears throat> Craig Fairbrother versus the gang leader <clears throat> because he ordered the death of his wife, who was yeah. pretending to be his daughter. And it becomes um, Winston versus Burnside yeah. because uh, Burnside is actually the or- <clears throat> person who orchestrated all of this yeah. right from the word go. Set all this stuff in motion. <clears throat> yep, yep. And the bad cop, who is also on scene, is pissed off because he realises that Burnside has double-crossed him as well. So he wants all this shut down now. Yep. So they've got any attempts to kind of spoil this. Who plays the bad cop, the bad American cop? We need like a, an American shit. Yeah, who's going to be a good, a good American shit? Um, <clears throat> so we used his friends last week, didn't yeah. we? Can't reuse him. How about, um, you know, I'm going to go out of left, left field here, but I don't think this is too far out of left field. I think this is kind of appropriate. John Travolta. Ooh. Because John Travolta doesn't do any big movies anymore. Mm. He pops up in straight-to-video weird choices. Yeah. And I think, because he'd only be acting essentially as a guest, guest star, he'd come in at the end, wouldn't he? Or he'd yes. come in and out. As I think he's appearance by John Travolta with a weird haircut. Yeah. Which I'm going to say is uh, like Guile from Street Fighter. <laughs> a bleach brown kind of triangle. Pointy beard as well, like a really pointy beard. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's wearing Wizbit on his head, <laughs> but up the other way. So, it, yeah, it's flat at the top, yeah. but angles in. And the beard comes out the same angle, so it's like the tip of a pyramid. <laughs> it's like a pyramid being wedged in his head. He looks like King um, Top. <laughs> he looks like a sphinx. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he wears a tracksuit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, John Travolta's got two scenes, basically. He comes, starts at the, uh, in the where, pops up in the warehouse and at the end, and he's got, like, a gold pistol as well. Yes. Something unique. Um, so all this is kicking off. So Chris Elephant, Chris Elephant, Chris Ellison's character, yeah. who we've been calling Burnside, but actually he's an old character of his, I want his character, since we're now establishing that he is someone from Bentley Wynn's past, yeah who has kind of set all this stuff in motion, mm. I think his name should be Roy Savaloy. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that's why Wind keeps saying Savaloy because yeah. it's he used to shout that in rage. Yes. So then when he suddenly finally sees him revealed, yeah. and he's like, "Oi, Roy Savaloy!" Yeah. <laughs> and shouts it. <laughs> but then that breaks, breaks Wind for a minute, and then it kicks off again. <laughs> um, I want on the boat. I want there to be a pool in the boat with a diving board, and at one point, I want Ray Winston to dive off the board and as he somersaults down fires and kills lots of people before he hits the pool yeah and someone should be killed with a flare gun oh yeah yeah uh, what about as well a harpoon I think because it's, it's on a boat so you could have a harpoon gun as well so someone gets harpooned maybe someone's killed with a harpoon and a flare gun at the same time yeah the harpoon gun's on fire as they team up one fires the harpoon the other one fires the flare at the harpoon which hits it in midair and catches it alight mm. And then the harpoon hits the guy while it's burning. That could be how um, the main gangster dies. Yeah. What about uh, Burns? I, yeah. How we're killing him? Because I think he's stuck on that spinny thing, and uh, <clears throat> that either catches light or someone just kind of kind of manages to yeah. move the boat, and he just flies off into the distance and just has a really comical death. But I also <laughs> think we we need to have one more payoff for the count them catchphrase. So I think maybe maybe he does get spin out of control and crashes. And then Winston walks up to him and goes, I don't need no guns. I'm going to punch you till you die. Mm-hmm. Count him. And punch every time he punches him. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and on 10, he punches his head off. <laughs> yes. And it drops to one. Yeah, brilliant. Now, this is how it's going to end, right? You've <clears> got <throat> the boats in on fire. It's mm. in tatters. There's jet skis lodged in different parts of it. Everyone's dead, okay? Mm. But... The, the, the SS team set the thing to explode. Yeah. So it's rigged with explosives. <clears throat> the only way for Fairbrass and Winston to escape is via the jetpack. But the jetpack is run out of fuel. So the only way they can power that, bear in mind it's a kind of air propulsion system, yeah. <laughs> is <laughs> to find something that would generate enough <laughs> force like some kind of wind power <laughs> so, here you go, man. And so, and so winston basically has to drop his guts into the into the thing <laughs> so just before as the countdown's going you've got winston kind of with his ass pressed up against the jetpack and fabrass feed, feeding him um, no, i don't think he's feeding him i think he's trying to get him all these memories he's shouting him do you remember when we uh we're in Bogota and, you know, you kick that nun in the face and he's yeah. just saying all these horrible things to him and you can see Ray Winston's face getting redder and redder because he's yeah. making him really nervous and anxious. And they both grab hold of the jetpack and let it rip and it, <laughs> off it goes and the boat explodes. Um, but they're, they're almost ashore. Mm. But obviously the, the stream of, of gas, of noxious fart gas coming from the jetpack catches light. Yeah. And there's a there's a line of fire chasing them back to shore. Yeah. And they have to drop, let go of the jetpack, just as the line of fire catches it, and that explodes. Yeah. And it's like a shot of them falling from an explosion where they land in an ice cream van. Yes. And they kind of get up, dust themselves off, and there is a kid who says, can I have an ice cream? Um, what do you call an ice cream with a flake in it? And now cured of all his neuroses, he goes to 99. And he hands him a 99, and there's a freeze frame with them all laughing <laughs> as he hands it. It's basically, if you imagine Fairbrass and Winston in a two-shot, yeah. 
and they've literally the camera is the point of view of the kid and they thrust the 99 in between them that fills the space between them and they love each other and laugh. He goes, but it isn't a freeze frame. They've done the police squad thing of, of holding still. So as the credits roll, the, the ice cream's melting over their hands. And right at the end, little Tommy squeaker and then they kind of go, oops, and then it freeze frames and the credits roll. Yeah, yeah. But the, the end song is not like a high octane song. It's a it's a kind of ballad. Yeah, I mean it's got everything in it. What's I mean, there? it's got three major. It's got a big shootout in a in a in an airport. Yeah, it's got a big warehouse shootout with an exploding pinata panda pinata. Yeah, it's got a jet ski assault on a boat that ends in a fart power jetpack. <laughs> And that's not to mention all the double crossing and all the intrigue and all the, so the multiple things. The wife comes out of the coma. I see, this is where I'd like to wrap this up as well, because I want the wife to come out of the coma. Craig Fairbrass's wife to come out of a coma. Can she be the kid? Can she be the kid at the end? She just takes a rig off. <laughs> She's like a master of disguise. Or, no, how about how about before they go off? She's she's so she she comes to as as they're on the way. So it could be a little montage thing, a cross cut of 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 Fairbrass's team flying their helicopter towards the thing, mm. with the wife coming to out the coma, and she's lost and she doesn't know where he is, and so she wanders out of the hospital, and he gets a call just before they strike saying she's gone, and he's like, "What am I going to do?" But he has to kind of quell his emotion, and then when they crash into the ice cream van, she wanders up in her medical gown and it's just like oh can I have an idea and then we do that but I like the idea that now that she's come out of her coma she loves them both so they end up having an unconventional marriage where there's three of them involved yeah brilliant that's great yeah what's Fairbrass's character called we didn't name him did we so we've got so we've got Bentley Wind Roy Savloy Randy Crisps (laughs) I was thinking um, Wordsworth bastard. <laughs> it's also very good. Yeah, yeah, Wordsworth bastard. Because we didn't name Travolta either, did we? He, 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 no. So he could be Randy Crisps. Um, okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, no. Uh, so Fairbrass's Roderick, uh, sorry, Fairbrass's Wordsworth bastard. <laughs> um, and Travolta's character is Randy Crisps. Uh, an- another winner, Heroic Bloodshed. Movie that's deeply confusing, <laughs> but all you need to know ends with Chris Ellison getting his head punched off by Ray Winston, and then he gets wearing a jetpack fuel with his own arse gas. <clears throat> yes. That is a pocket of wind, um, everyone. And I think we should the the the, the song, the f- final ballad, should be about wind. Like talk, we will tell the artist, the female artist, whoever it is. I want you to, to romanticise the idea of wind, but not tell her we meant gastric wind. She yeah. thinks she's talking about wind in the trees and stuff. Mm. But I think we should put that, submit that for Oscar consideration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, best, best song. As we've established, we're two French gentlemen private investigators who do this podcast so we can learn as much about seeking justice um, and pass that information on for you. We are now going to add to our um, guide to seeking justice, the Justice 101, 
with lessons learned from a better tomorrow too. Mm. So, um, Dick, when watching that film, what did you think you could learn from the way those characters uh, dispense justice that we could, that's transferable to real life? What would you like to recommend to our viewers as a way of going out and seeking justice in the real world? Well, I think certainly if you're seeking justice for you've lost a partner or you've lost a valuable member of the team, and it, particularly if that member of the team is a, is a, is a badass and you know, you'd quite like to have them back, just go and find their twin brother. Because yeah. it's, it's more than likely that that twin brother is going to be even mentaler and harder mm. and just more equipped at kind of dealing out death and destruction. So just make sure you go and find a twin brother because they'll have one, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And if you are twin brothers and one of you dies, you, you have to be prepared to take up the mantle the other one left. I mean, it's one of those unwritten laws really of twins that you, you have to kind of do that. Um, I, I, I was undecided between the two lessons that I learned. I think, firstly, it's, it's a sad fact that when you get into this kind of world of, of justice seeking, that people do get hurt. They, you know, it's not all as much fun as the movies or indeed we make it out to be. There are some real um, long-term psychological effects. And it doesn't hurt to have some... I wouldn't say training, formal training, but some empathy and awareness of how to deal with people um, who might be suffering from trauma. Um, and the best way is just to be an absolute dickhead about it. I mean, really be a knob. Yeah. Like if they've got something like, you know, like a picture of the person that was murdered, just fucking wipe your ass on it and yeah. shove it on there, stick it to their forehead. Yeah. You know, um, uh, they'll snap out of it, you know. You won't do anyone any good by being nice or kind or empathetic or, or patient with them. No. Just slap them about a bit um, and tell them to snap out of it. Yeah. Um, and eventually they'll come to their senses, pick up a gun and start shooting people. And then, you know, you'll have that eureka moment, yeah, you know, um, uh, and be really, really impatient with them. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say is that um, if you really want to intimidate anyone and you don't have a gun on you, um, just push food into their mouth. Rice is rice works in this film, but anything you've got to hand, yeah, uh, a chicken leg, um, um, some jelly, octopus, uh, uh, a, a six course Indian meal, all of yeah, it, a, calippo, a lot of it, just just lipo out yeah. of its out of its sheath into the mouth of your of, of someone who might be trying to start a fight with you in a bar. Well, you need to be, you. you need to be careful though, there, Dom, because you, with a calippo. What you might you might have to wait a while to push it because it's it, it, if it's come straight out of the freezer, it, it it's like it's like taking the sword out of stone. It take you've got to be in the right push it in the right way. Take your time, and of course, too, too long and it's too runny and liquidy, and it just yeah. falls straight out. Yeah. See, this is why we do this in pairs because you need sometimes you need a partner to pick you up on on where you go wrong. If 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 Dick hadn't been here. I would have gone out and given advice to the world that yeah. using a calippo to shove into someone's mouth as a form of intimidation would be appropriate. And it's clearly wrong. I was way off base. So thank you for keeping That's it fine. real That's or keeping fine. me real and grounded. That's fine. Dick. Easy mistake to make. Oh, yeah. We've all made that mistake. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'd say calippo is for, is not for intermediates or beginners. It's no. definitely a pro intimidation food. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think if you're a beginner, 
something easy like uh, a tin of rice pudding because you can scoop that with your hands and yeah. smear it. Yeah, that'll do fine. Yeah, absolutely. Or, um, cust- or custard, like warm custard. Yeah, something that, that you don't have to be particularly refined. You can get into the more precise technical stuff like calippos as you gain more experience of intimidating people with food. You're welcome, everyone. Yeah. Um, these are the kind of tips, you know, the pro tips you don't get on other podcasts or YouTube channels. Um, and that's why we're here. So um, we'll be back again. It's too good to believe. We'll be back again with more movies. Uh, we've got a favourite of mine next week. I think it's a favourite of yours, not just oh, in terms of film, but in terms of actor. I'm really, really excited because not enough people talk about this and I can't wait to get into that next week. But until then, I've been Dominic Diplom. And who have you been again? I don't know. I, do you know what? It's, I'm so confused by the, the by, by the twisty intricacies of the film. I've no idea where I'm yeah. anymore. So, yeah. You're a gangster, whatever, really. undercover as a podcaster, or a podcaster undercover. I, who knows anymore? Um, and that's the world you choose to live in should you walk the path that we do. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>